Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Gregory Melville and Susan Fox and Kathleen Bromage. Well, it looks to me like the end is coming. Feet's hurt and my nose is running. Friends and neighbors are dropping like flies. Better cover your face, sanitize. Everybody's doing the best that they can. I love that song so much. I mean, it just kind of describes the present moment. We're probably going to have to use it a lot on these uh, all-call shows. Because first of all, at a certain point, this is not going to make sense anymore. But President lost and he doesn't want to go. I mean, I don't know. Anyway, um, so today's an all-call show, in case you didn't know. And if I sound a little screwier even than usual, uh, the reason I like, I don't know, whenever I do these early morning fundraising things... Which is not like that early, and compared to how early Cat Pastor has to get here every single day, I mean, it's embarrassing that I regard this as some kind of imposition on me or some crippling effect visited upon my cognition. But, but there you have it. <laughs> and I find that also because I'm I'm out of practice. I mean, I have to get here at like six thirty or something, and, and go on the air at six forty six, and it's. You know, and I don't know, there's no name for this to the best of my knowledge, but there's that phenomenon uh, of knowing that you have to get up at a certain time and you really have to get up at a certain time because you have to be someplace at a certain time. You never sleep as well under those circumstances. You just like your mind is already anticipating that moment. So it's – and your mind is going, well, in that case, why go to sleep at all because – Clearly, we'll have to get up. Usually, when I let you go to sleep, this is your mind talking to you now. Usually, when I get you to let you go to sleep, it's because like we could sleep forever. Who knows? You know, it's just an open-ended question. But here, it's like getting in a relationship with someone and having them tell you it's this is going to be over in two years. That's as long as I stay in relationships. Well, like, well, who even wants it at that point? Anyway, all I'm saying is, I'm not at my best. Um, so you are allowed to call 888-720-WNPR, 888-720-9677, and bring up anything. And people do. You can bring up this show. You know, you can bring up – we can talk about anything. 
Um, or at least you could talk about anything. And I also do have with me, we haven't used them lately, and I feel like we need to open one, partly because they're starting to back up in the pipeline a little bit. But we have I have two sealed envelopes from Mr. Carp. Mr. Carp sends me things, clippings of things he feels that either I might be interested in or perhaps I should be interested in. And with Mr. Carp, who I've now known since the mid-70s, let's say, <laughs> it's always been a little – like at one point Mr. Carp decided I should take an accounting class when we were in college. <laughs> and it turns out I'm I'm not well suited to that. But but he thought I should. I needed that, okay? And so and it, it's, it's not a good idea to ignore what Mr. Carp thinks. Anyway, he sent me these envelopes. They're sealed. I don't know what's in them. If you call up and say open one, I will, and then I will talk to you about something that's in the envelope. But, you know, anyway, that's that. So let me just tell you the thing that I've been thinking about. We already have somebody calling in from Hollywood, Florida, who wants to talk about this. But let me kind of set it up a little bit more. Because I put this up on Facebook over the weekend. I was amazed at the amount of response that it got. So I've been following this whole thing. You know, I'm sure you have too. Joe Rogan, who's this kind of libertarian, former, and maybe not entirely former comedian who started a podcast that has a kind of peculiar identity to it. But he has millions and millions of people who are, seem to be following him. Um, he is so popular that Spotify invested what we think is about $100 million to get him to do his podcast off the Spotify platform or on, on the Spotify platform would be a better way to put it because now there are people trying to get him off the Spotify platform. And Neil Young and Joni Mitchell and other people are saying either he goes or we go, which has meant that they have gone. You cannot get some of your favorite Canadian singers of class, classical singer-songwriter material on Spotify anymore. I don't know what you will do. Um, and people are upset because Rogan, um, the way that they describe it, that he's, he spreads false information about COVID. And so the only thing that I brought up over the weekend is, because I'm as concerned about the epistemic crisis in America, the sort of collapse uh, of empirically, empirically agreed upon knowledge or even an agreed upon method for validating information. I mean, I, I feel like it's in worse shape than it's been in my life. And, and so I worry about it all the time. Now, I don't worry about Joe Rogan all the time. And the reason for that is I haven't ever really listened to Joe Rogan. And I'm going to do that because I'm teaching a course on 21st century political journalism. And clearly he's you know, as the line, another line that's blurring is the line between journal journalism and this other stuff that that amounts to being a source of information, which is kind of what journalism is too. But it isn't really exactly journalism. Anyway, the point that I was making is: Can you be so exercised about the heinous wrongs committed by Joe Rogan that you yourself, as a lot of people did over the weekend, announce on social media that you are dropping your subscription or whatever to, to, to Spotify. Can you be that upset if you have never listened to Joe Rogan? It seems to me that, you know, you should probably listen to two or three episodes, something like that, <laughs> before you know that you it's time for me to take a stand. I've got to take a stand against this. This has bothered me. This kind of thing has bothered me pretty much my entire adult life. I had a flashback today as I was talking to somebody or writing back and forth with somebody on Facebook where I remembered in 1988, I covered the protests outside movie theaters against Martin Scorsese's Last Temptation of Christ. 
and the people protesting it tended to be religious people. They were either devout Catholics or members of conservative churches. And when I would ask them, you know, why they were protesting, they had some reasons. And then I would ask them if they'd seen the movie. Nobody, none of them had seen, seen the movie. There was no, I mean, as a matter of fact, as far as they were concerned, seeing the movie would de- defeat the purpose. They were trying to get other people not to see the movie. They thought the fewer people who see this movie, the better off we all are. But how do you protest something you haven't seen? You know, I just, I couldn't get that. I couldn't understand that. So, well, I mean, I could understand why they would do that. <laughs> but I couldn't understand how that could be a valid way of conducting yourself and, and a valid way of being a little duck paddling through the marshes of culture and information and journalism and media. It seems to me that when you can, you should experience the thing that you are poised to object to. But it t- t- touched off quite a debate. I don't know. There were like 240, 250 comments on this one thread the last time I checked. So so I throw that out there. It's not the only thing we'll talk about today, but I throw it out there. Uh, as uh, And I will say also, you know, I mean, Joe Rogan today posted something. For, uh, Spotify, surprisingly, has sort of posted something kind of conciliatory. And said that, you know, with programs like Rogan's, they are going to attempt also to make sure people know to have access to, know that also on Spotify there are some more conventional sources of biomedical understanding that, you know, you could go to to sort of, you know, compare it to what you hear on Joe Rogan. And Joe Rogan posted this thing on Instagram, which I watched. It was nine minutes long. Three, The last three minutes are some kind of anecdote about Neil Young. But the first six minutes, the stuff that he said, I did not object to. I, I, I did not quarrel with. I mean, it was – well, I, we can get into what that stuff was. It, no, there's a difference between my saying I wouldn't object to anything he said and I regard his method as one which I embrace. Those are two different things and, and I, can, I can tease that out later if it's important. But anyway, the whole idea today is that you will call in and you don't have to call in about this. Calling about something else that's bothering you, you can, you know, feel like you need to talk about Heidegger today or something. That's fine. Um, I won't have anything to say about Heidegger, but uh, but you could still talk about him. All right. So here's Brendan in Hollywood, Florida, who is in fact calling to talk about Joe Rogan. You have the floor. Hey, how's it going? Okay. Um, very excited. I honestly listen to uh, the show in podcast form every day. Um, I'm, I used to live in New Haven and Avon before moving to Hollywood. So my issue with Joe Rogan, I mean, I fit like the demographic of who is supposed to like and listen to Joe Rogan. Um, I'm like a physically fit man in his thirties. Um, but I'm also a socialist. So that kind of makes matters a little bit more complicated. Mm -hmm. So I have listened to Joe Rogan's podcast. And the thing that bothers me about his podcast I'm fine with him being libertarian. It's the fact that the podcast is really awful. It's not fun or interesting to listen to. That's the problem that I have with it. It's like if he was giving us something that was like exciting and it made me think different ways about the world, I'd be like, okay, I get why people listen to this. But ultimately what I've noticed when he has a guest on that I'm like, okay, that's the person I want to listen to is this person is trying to have an intelligent conversation (laughs) And Joe Rogan is not letting that conversation progress in an intelligent way. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, once again, I can't really pronounce on it because I I don't I haven't spent enough time listening to Joe Rogan to have that opinion. 
But I also think, you know, it's interesting how the way that you began about that idea about the demographic that either would or wouldn't like Joe Rogan. Because, and I don't, I'm not saying you're wrong either about that demographic, but I think it's really complicated. And I'd love to know what you think about this. Because, for example, I, I was talking to, or I was, I shouldn't say the word talking, but I was communicating with somebody on Facebook, somebody I know who tends to see the world in very kind of binary uh, Republican versus Democrat terms and regards uh, the Republican Party as kind of consummately evil and deceptive and all this kind of stuff. And and, and he was just sort of saying, well, that's this is just more of the same of that. And it's journalism's fault for giving any, you know, any kind of platform or voice to these you know, right wing views of the Republican Party. Blah, 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 blah. And I don't my sense is and I'm really intrigued by this. In fact, I'm going to get one of these producers uh, connected with my show to to do an episode with me about this. I, there's something actually, they, they call it conspirituality until I find out there's an actual word for it. And, and what it kind of is, is that sort of sense of once you start questioning settled truth about something, you're on this kind of bus line that stops in other places. So you decide that conventional COVID medical science is not true. And in fact, the stuff that you have been told by the establishment really needs to be questioned and possibly overturned. You're on a bus line that could conceivably stop, and I'm not kidding at all, uh, with Flat Earth, or it could stop at Sandy Hook didn't happen, or it could stop at uh, Barack Obama was not born in this country, or it could stop at 9-11 didn't happen the way you were told it happened. It happened, it was much more of an inside job. You, You know, all these places, the bus stops in all these other places. And once you get on the bus at one of those places, there's at least the possibility you're going to get off at one of the other ones. And to me, it's, go ahead. Yeah. You you talk. Yeah. yeah, No, I mean, you're absolutely right. (laughs) The thing that bothers me is the level of, as you're saying, like he's ready to stop at every one of those stops. Mm -hmm. He is not willing to engage with the idea that the person telling him these things is not like a bona fide expert. So for instance, I mentioned earlier, my political views, he had Bernie Sanders on. And so I listened to that podcast and Joe Rogan is like, yeah, Bernie Sanders, of course. Yeah. This guy makes the most sense in the world. And I'm like, yeah, I agree with you here. I think if he had Donald Trump on, he'd be like, yeah, Donald Trump, this guy makes the most sense in the world. This is the guy. I don't think that he's willing to like really engage. I think maybe that's what people like about it is that he is like agreeable to all these ideas but at the same time, if you don't really have a stance that is formed, then you're willing to just accept whatever anyone is saying to you. And it doesn't really make for an interesting conversation. Right. That's a that's a really interesting way of putting it. And I'm going to file that one away and think about it. I will, you may have heard me say this before on the show because I, I've brought it up many times. But I, I was covering one Trump rally during – it was probably around 2015. And I was talking to the people who were there and – it was interesting because, their, they, of course, their favorite was Trump. That's why they were at a Trump rally. Their second favorite candidate in 2015, and this is before people had dropped out. Everybody, all the Republican field had like 16 candidates. Their second favorite candidate was Bernie because, in fact, the thing that they both had in common was that they really were kind of questioning the standard way of operating politically, the standard way that uh, Washington operates. They were uh, also kind of directing their rhetoric to the average person. 
Uh, I, I think Bernie was doing it with more sincerity <laughs> than Trump. But but these guys, you know, these people that I was talking to, they were, they, you know, they weren't evil warlocks or something. They ran auto body shops and they were having trouble making ends meet stuff, you know. And those are the only two people who seem to be talking about what they were worried about. And and so, but the thing that you just said is really true, which is if you're open to every possibility. That sounds nice, right? It sounds like you're being open-minded. But you're really saying, I am going to suspend whatever critical faculties might be used to evaluate yeah. information. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's exactly what it is. And that's exactly, as a teacher, I'm trying to teach the opposite of what that is showing. The issue is that... Um, you know, this line of this way of interviewing, this way of dealing with the world, although it does sound really like wonderful, right, that open mindedness, that's a serious issue. If you're talking about like making serious systemic changes in the world, because you'll never get anywhere because you're always like, well, no, that guy said the right thing. No, that guy said the right thing. Well, which is the right thing? We have to arrive at some sort of like objective truth at some point, right? Right. And there, there are different ways to cull too. So this is another story I've told before. I'm just, I'm at the point in my career where I'm just cycling through the same crap over and over again. But um, I had this editor who said this thing that stayed with me for decades and decades. And what he said, I've kind of modified it to make it my own, but the way it goes is like this. If, you, if you're a reporter, if you're a journalist and you get contacted by somebody who says, I have broken the three-minute mark in running the mile. I can run the mile in three minutes. Um, and, and I'll be doing that today at such, such a location, not too far from you. I'm inviting all the press to come down and watch me run the mile in three minutes. He, he said, look, that's almost certainly not true. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, you could be really open-minded, right? You could be open-minded. You say, well, you know, I don't want to miss it. If it is, if it's really happening, I better be there. And I certainly don't want to be such a gatekeeper of information that I'm turning away possibly really exciting things. God, if he can run the mile in th three minutes, what's his secret? Maybe we all, all need to know a lot more about this. Well, yeah. But it's probably not true. And if you're busy <laughs> and you're trying to get other kinds of information out to people, it's not a good use of your time. So that's like the, the first culling process. And I can understand why a libertarian, you know, or maybe a Rogan-type thinker would go, well, see, you've already pre you've prejudiced yourself. You've predisposed yourself towards certain kinds of information and away from others. And yeah, I mean, ultimately, that's what you do. And the problem that I have with some of these shows where they have like Robert Malone on and some of these other rogue doctors is, you know, I mean, it's like it would be very easy to round up 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 scientists and clinicians who work at, in, in hospital settings and at prestigious research universities and, and who, who publish regularly in scholarly journals and attend conferences where they talk about microbiology and virology and immunology. And, you know, even though, as Rogan pointed out in his Instagram thing today, it's been a changing landscape, and they've had to revise their thinking a few times. And what was settled orthodoxy in March of 2020 turned out to be wrong and had to be over, you know, granted. But these people are all kind of committed to the same method, to the same standards of proof, to figuring out things the same way, and they're all heading in more or less the same direction. So given that, let's say there are 4,000 of them, a made-up number by me. 
why would you need the 18 people who don't believe that? <laughs> you know, what, what's the perp, what is your purpose in focusing more attention on those, you know, 18 people, you know, who, who are mavericks, who are rogues, who are unorthodox, and kind of ignoring this enormous body uh, of scientific research scholarship and thinking about all that? And it seems to me you've also predisposed yourself in the name of open-mindedness. You're saying, I'm so open-minded, I'm going to ignore <laughs> I'm going to ignore <laughs> years of research, and I'm going to ignore everybody's expertise, and I'm going to go talk to this guy because he doesn't agree with any of it. To me, that is its own kind of prejudice, and, and it's, it's easily as absurd as just you know, mindlessly lapping up orthodoxy. Yeah, I mean, it's the, the thing that scares me is the, is the level of discourse has shifted so much to the point where there essentially is no discourse. There are, like, people operating on different planes. And so to even have, I don't know, I don't want to take up any more of your time, but, you know, the Don't Say Gay bill is, you know, going to be passed through the Florida um, legislature where you're not allowed to talk about LGBTQ issues in, like, primary school classrooms or whatever. And I posed on my Instagram story does anyone actually like that believes in this bill want to have an intelligent conversation about this? Like exactly like who it affects, why you think it's like a good thing to do. One person reached out to me, a Joe Rogan listener. <laughs> and, uh, and so he posed his point and then I posed my counterpoints. And then that was the end of the conversation. There was no follow up to the discourse. So the discourse ended with my reply. Right. So I think that's kind of like where we're at. <laughs> I think that is where we're at. Yeah. I mean, there's a I got to go to break it. But um, there's a tie into all the book banning and stuff that's going on. There's a, like a new rash of that. You know, either that or it's like church burning and we're just noticing it more for a brief interval. Anyway, let's take a break. We'll, we will be back right after this. Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. Loneliness can be a significant health risk to people of all ages. Dr. Laura Saunders, a psychologist from Hartford HealthCare's Institute of Living, talks about social isolation and why we need to connect in person. Loneliness actually is a pretty significant health risk for people that struggle with social isolation. It affects their blood pressure, it affects their immune system, it affects your willingness to get up and get out and can cause some not just emotional issues, but health problems as well. You're not alone. Dr. Saunders explains how important it is for us to look to others and get out of our comfort zone. I like to talk about social isolation as not just that individual's problem, but it's a community problem or it's a family problem. We need to connect with others. We can take space at times as well, but we need to step out of our comfort zone and do things to connect with other people. It's life-saving. For more information, go to ctpublic.org slash health.
That's our good friend, Jill Sovial. Uh, so this is an all-call show. This is going to be a very short... I, I went long because Brendan was an interesting call and I wanted to talk to him. So uh, this is going to be a very short interval here because in about three minutes, we're going to go to a pledge break. So let me just say something about the pledge break, which is that um, it's really important today. And, and it's not going to be me or Kat. I don't know who's going to be asking you to support the show. I'm being told it's Joe Rogan and Aaron Rodgers are going to come on and ask you to support. That. And will they be fair? Will they really you know, stand up for what we do? Um, so one of the reasons I want you to support the show today is we have this terrific interview with Michael Schur, the creator of The Good Place and Parks and Rec, yada, yada. Uh, and it's about moral philosophy, and we recorded it last week. I want to run the whole thing on Thursday with no pledge breaks. So we need to kind of do well here during the 1 to 2 o'clock hour uh, for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. So try to think about that. We can do that because I want to give you a break from pledge breaks on on, on uh, Thursday, which is when we're going to do the sure thing. Okay. So uh, there's that. I also want to tell you that tomorrow we are <laughs> we're doing a show about circumstances in which people have been judged to be gods. Uh, in other words, you know, this is – true of Haile Selassie, and there's some pretty other uh, obvious examples of that, but also um, it, it's uh, it's also with some more obscure people. There was actually this guy named Benjamin Krem who used to go on the – I used to interview him all the time. He was this apostle of this idea that a divinity was coming back to earth named Maitreya, and Maitreya was basically kind of the messiah figure in all major religions. It was like whoever you think is going to come back based on what religion you're part of. It's this guy, and he's already here. That was his point. Uh, and <laughs> at a certain point, he saw this economist uh, on, I think, the Stephen Colbert show, on the Colbert Report, and he realized, he quote-unquote realized, it was that guy, and he started telling everyone. So suddenly that guy, who was just there to plug his book or something, <laughs> he was a god. Uh, people thought he was a god. So... And that's the kind of thing that we really, really like. You know, we like, I think on this show anyway, going down odd alleys that, you know, maybe not many people would. Uh, and so anyway, I mean, I, I hope, you know, I, I hope that's meaningful to you. You know, we're I, I bring this up to scare people all the time because I discovered it scares them. We're still in this process of so-called rebranding or perhaps branding. We can't decide whether we were ever branded enough to be able to rebrand now. But, you know, it does sort of involve talking about, like, well, what is our brand? What is it we do? Who are we? What is the identity of this show? And my, my latest answer, which pleases, as far as I can tell, no one, is our identity is whatever show we're going to do next, you know? Like, our identity right now is we're the show that would do a show, an entire episode, about people who have been mistaken for gods, you know? And then it'll be something after that. Uh, and, and then something after that, and then something after that. So, um, yeah, I'm, it's being pointed out to me. The Accidental God Show will actually run on Wednesday. I'm all confused. I didn't get enough sleep. We have to take, we're going to take a little break now. Uh, Aaron Rodgers and uh, Joe Rogan are going to ask you to, uh, they're going to come on now and ask you to support the Colin McEnroe Show. And boy, if you won't listen to those guys, I don't know who you would listen to. In a dream, drinking strawberry lemonade. Feeding quarters to a pinball game and getting paid to look the other way. 
All right, we're back. I always get very confused about what segment we're in <laughs> when we do the call-in shows, and then we have pledge breaks piled on top of it. By the way, I was wrong about who was doing the pledge break. It was Tyson Fury and Tulsi Gabbard. So thanks to, to Tyson and – I can't even say that. Tyson and Tulsi? Thanks to Tyson and Tulsi for uh, your fine work. Okay, so um, – so it's time to thank Kat Pastor. She's the technical producer of the show. Jonathan McPants is the producer of this episode. He's in there screening calls. So if you call 888-720-WNPR, 888-720-9677, you will not only eventually get a chance to talk to me on the air, but you will get a chance right away to talk to Jonathan McPants off the air. And so um, here we go. Uh, and let's, we've got some calls here. We'll start with Michael, and then we'll go to Chris. Hi, Michael. You're on the air. Good afternoon. How are you? You're fine? I'm fine. Colin, uh, I go on the Hopkins website every day, and I make a note of a lot of the data on there, including people who have died since the previous day. And I used to do this, and I used to feel terrible because the numbers were super high. And no one could do anything to, to really change that. And, you know... I think everybody, Daniel Griffin included, agrees that at least in terms of mortality, this is, a pa- this is now a pandemic of the unvaccinated. And I think there's a pretty concentric circle Venn diagram among those people and maybe people who lean a little conservative, perhaps Trumpy, and don't necessarily feel that uh, any of the medical information that they're getting is good or true. And if those two people, if those two groups are really the same group, and one poses a threat politically and the other poses a threat biologically, I don't know that I feel as bad as I used to when I record that daily number. And I know that's a horrible thing to say about human life, but I wanted to get your take. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, I think a lot of people are struggling with some version of this and, and, and me, me too. And, and sort of here's where I am on all this. First of all, I'm cautious uh, about thinking this way because it's a slippery slope. I mean, now we're talking about another bus that stops in certain other places. And and so if I'm going to decide, well, you know, it's, I mean, a, a lot of the people who are not vaccinated are are not unvaccinated to do a double negative. They're not unvaccinated because they're jerks. They're not uh, necessarily Trump voters, although they might be. Uh, the, doesn't, that also doesn't necessarily condemn them to jerkhood. But um, they, they might just have been raised in a very different kind of tradition, or they might just be sadly and deeply mistaken about something. And and so I'm a little nervous about that feeling. I, I will I will sort of tell you my guilty feeling, my guilty experience. When somebody who's a real famous COVID denier, either somebody in the media or somebody in politics or somebody who called out another person, you know, in a very public way, in a way that, you know, and that person dies of COVID. I mean, I'm not happy exactly, but I'm I'm eager to have people who are in the same camp look at that and say, look, this is the one of the kinds of people that you were paying a lot of attention to and listening to, and they paid this huge price for it. Don't you get it? You know, and, and that it's maybe this kind of useful mm-hmm. object le- lesson, and that of course means I'm treating the person as a means rather than an end. And Kant says I'm not supposed to do that. Um, but you know, th- but I think it, we have to be careful. And w- one of the analogs I've been thinking a lot about the '80s and the early '90s and the AIDS crisis, and there were quite a few people 
many of them located in the Reagan administration, who just didn't really want to do anything about this and didn't see it as a big problem because it was this certain group of people and they engaged in certain kinds of high-risk behaviors. And, you know, it wasn't something that anybody that they knew was going to get or so they thought because they thought they knew who, who everybody who was gay and who wasn't. But, you know, it was like these people and there was this kind of subtext and it wasn't always sub. Sometimes it was just text of you know what? They're in it for a certain thing. They're they're engaging in these certain behaviors, and so they get this disease. And so, you know, I mean, why should we have to marshal the incredible resources of the American health establishment to help these people? Uh, they could just stop doing what they're doing. And, of course, that's like grotesquely unfair and weird and horrible. And it's not the same. I understand, as anti-vaxxers. But it's it's somewhere on that bus line, right, where you start saying, well, you know, because of these people, they, they brought this on themselves. Uh, I just don't want to do that because some of the people who are not vaccinated, as I say, it's they just don't know any better or they were raised in weird traditions or they have eight friends who are like this and they kind of went along with it. I don't know. I don't want that to be a death sentence. You know what I'm saying? I do, and it's it's... I mean, the thing I question is just, and maybe no one knows this, is, you know, what are the numbers? Sure, there are people who, for various medical reasons, um, you know, can't can't get vaccinated. But putting that aside for a second, I, you know, I just wonder if, if, if there are those who are critically uninformed. You know, do we, what is their responsibility? I, 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 I certainly don't, I'm not saying that their ignorance should sentence them to death, but do they not have some responsibility to at least learn about this thing that is is sort of affecting the entire culture? Yeah, I mean, they do. I, I would agree that they do. But they we're not all hitting off the same set of T's, you know? I, I don't know. If, they're, if, you're, <laughs> if, if you're raised in a certain place and your educational attainment is a certain thing or you're just surrounded by people who think a different thing, you know, it just— um, I mean, I feel like in some ways I feel really fortunate to be have been— born in a different place where I probably was going to follow a certain kind of path. Um, I don't think I'm on that path because I'm such a great person. You know, I I say a lot these days. I don't know why it keeps coming up, but I keep going, you know, we're all, most of us here who are, you know, college educated, East Coast liberals or whatever, we shouldn't forget we were born on second base. You know, we did not hit a double. (laughs) <laughs> we, well put. We, were, we were born on second base. Now, we may skip, we may steal third and scamper home, and that'll be really good. You know, we did that, and and we should we should feel proud of ourselves for that. But we shouldn't be proud of being on but second only, base, you know? No, absolutely. Only because the pitcher bounced one at 55 feet. That's how I scored anyway. <laughs> so, yeah, the pitcher in that scenario, I think, is Joe Rogan, but I'm not sure. All right, so let's go to Chris. Thanks for that call, though. It's really good. Uh, we're going to go to Chris from Weathersfield. Hi, Chris. Hey, how you doing? Good. I'm looking at uh, a a book that's uh, circa from uh, 1975. It's called Management Information Systems in Action. And everybody talks about the process. Uh, And the process of gathering information, you know, it's not an original problem. We always had, in early education, the scientific method, you know, and it opened up your mind to so many opinions that you could possibly have, and what you were taught at that time was, okay, how do you think you want to solve this problem? Uh, You have all these ways that you think, you know, let's 
make a hypothesis. What do we do next? Let's test it. And then, you know, come to, you know, a formation of a thought. Uh, yeah, no, I'm... I, yeah. I just, I, I don't... Where did it go? Well, here's here's the problem. We may have slightly oversold the scientific method because one of the things that we've seen over the last two years, uh, in a way that we I don't think have had ringside seats for in the past, is the evolution of scientific consensus about something that's really important to a lot of people and that needs to be solved in real time. There isn't five years to figure this out. So, um, so what we see is that sometimes the scientific method leads you in the wrong direction for a while. So you decide that this is totally droplet transmission. There isn't an airborne component. You decide that maybe cloth masks are fine. And then you decide that maybe, no, they're not because of the airborne component. Maybe you really do need it in 95. But I had Vincent Racaniello on last week, who's one of the foremost microbiologists and virologists in America. And, and he said, no, a cloth mask is fine. People are getting too worked up about this mask stuff. But if I went to Michael, Mike Osterholm, uh, who runs SIDRAP, which is one of the most uh, uh, prestigious centers uh, for the study in, of infectious disease, I believe it's the University of Minnesota, he would say something different. He would say, no, you really do need a fitted, good mask to be safe under these circumstances because it's going to take a while before we know everything. This is a big, complicated thing. It affects like seven or eight billion people. Uh, and, and so we've seen that sometimes what appears to be scientific orthodoxy just it doesn't hold together very well. And what people do, partly because perhaps because we oversold the scientific method, they go, well, <laughs> if they say this one day and then they say something else a few days later, you know, I mean – is there any science at all here? Uh, you know, why did Fauci say that we shouldn't be wearing masks back in March of 2020? Um, and and there are so many instances of that. You know, I mean, we the scientific method and the scientific consensus essentially oversold at one point the potential of vaccines. It was not well explained, probably not well understood what kind of protection was conferred by the vaccines. So you have that stuff. I mean, Rogan was essentially making this point today in his Instagram thing. If you have that stuff and it's changing, but you tell people there's this method that's really empirical and trustworthy and it helps you arrive at a solid truth, you're going to have to reconcile all that for people. And I think, you know, there hasn't been any really good process of doing that. Um, all right. So let's go to another call. Here's Ruth in Sandy Hook. Hi, Ruth. Hi, Colin. I was just calling to, first of all, say how much I love your show, and I agree with you on what you're talking about in terms of the branding. But what you, you have done for me today is open my mind to not being so dogmatic about hating everybody that's not vaccinated and taking up beds and, and wearing out our medical people because perhaps... They really come from a place where they really don't understand everything that's being talked about in terms of uh, getting vaccinated and wearing masks. And, yes, the science isn't absolute, but these, this virus is a brand new thing. And, you know, it is obviously something that they're, uh, uh, you know, uh, looking at every single day and trying to do the best for us. But people who are angry on the other side, say, oh, my goodness, why should I listen to this? Yesterday they said this. Well, that is true. It is evolving. But anyway, I just wanted to say 
If I wasn't already a monthly contributor, I would have <laughs> to contribute today. I love your show and just keep doing what you're doing because I'm addicted every single day to seeing what Colin McEnroe show produces. <laughs> That's exactly so, what we, we like to hear that. We love to hear that, Ruth. And I want to say that you, you make an important point that I didn't make earlier. And so let me just double down on it now, which is watching Rogan explain his method today. And his method is kind of let everybody talk. I'm not making a lot of judgments, but why can't we you know, hear from this person and that person? Uh, why does, it ha- why does the, the, the field of potential guests have to be narrowed down so much? Um, you know, I mean, I don't think he does have a good answer to that whole thing. I mean, it's increasingly the case, too. If you go on Twitter, there are all these doctors and nurses who work in ICUs and pulmonary units and stuff like that. And they, they're burned out. They're at risk. They're getting COVID. They're, they're going home and just wondering if they can go on, if they can come back another day. You know, and, and if I were them listening to Rogan and on behalf of them, I would say to Rogan, how would you tell those people that you – what you really need to do is put a lot of people on your show, your very influential show, uh, who who aren't who, you know who are going to recommend against the kinds of steps that would ameliorate this problem in our hospitals and 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 these brave, wonderful people who have dedicated their lives to taking care of us uh, have been have been subjected to just you know insufferable conditions, uh, and and so. To what degree – how would you answer that person? How would you tell that person, I'm sorry, but it's still worth it to me to make sure that Dr. Robert Malone can get out of the air uh, and throw shade on, you know, on the efficacy of vaccine, vaccines? Uh, we still need, I still need to do that you know, probably more than once. <laughs> and and I, I, that's a serious thing. You, know, you cannot – I mean Ruth's 100 percent right about that, that – you know that's an area where, although I am prepared to acknowledge the humanity uh, of the people who are unvaccinated and the people who have made that choice, and I understand that they didn't do it because they were evil, but because they've got bad information, um, that's the place where it's a little bit of more of a deal breaker. Is just the the exposure, the exposure that we're visiting upon people. So my apologies to Katie in Middlefield. I just I didn't get to you in time, and it's a shorter show today. We have, lose a few minutes when we have Pledge. So Pledge is coming up here right now. Uh, Tyson Fury, the boxer, and Tulsi Gabbard, former president, uh, uh, former candidate for president of the United States, are going to ask you to support this show. And you know, I feel like Tyson and Tulsi, you've got the right message. Get them to support this show because Ruth needs this show. The number you have reached has been disconnected.